for me, tarot and even astrology, it's just a language and we can talk mm -hmm. about how maybe again with the devil card or with Capricorns that they have a real sense of, you know, having obligations and responsibilities. And sometimes if you want to play with it on a very physical level, it could be being bound, you know, by when you have obligations or being bound because you've made a promise, uh, being bound because you're into it. It's just kind of the same idea, but on different levels. You're listening to Left-Handed Journeys. My guest for today's episode is Janet Chui. I'm joined by Janet Chui, who is an artist and creator behind the Self-Love Oracle, drawing fantastical subjects since childhood and holding a BA in journalism. She's worked in tourism and publishing, and she is currently studying counseling psychology. After her experiences with motherhood, divorce, Tibetan Buddhism, healing, and the supernatural, she pushes others to heal through self-exploration and self-expression. She's based in Singapore and writes on self-love, astrology, and culture at JanetShuey.com. And your self-love oracle has just launched, right? Or is it? Yeah, like, it, yeah. it came out on the 13th. So that was just about two weeks ago. So I'm really excited about it. And and I think it's like, it was quite a long journey because it, it was a, an independent project that I put out in 2016. Okay. And now that it's been picked up by a publisher and it's, I don't have to worry about the distribution anymore. Someone else is doing it. Quite excited. But that, that just came out on Amazon about, yeah, two weeks ago. You know, can we just start there? I'm really curious, like about the journey, like what gave you the inspiration and what really motivated you to, to create this and put it out there? Uh, it's a good question. I mean, you know, for the longest time, uh, I think ever since my, my teens, visuals and painting and drawing were just kind of like my way of working through whatever I was going through, just putting my emotions on the paper. To be honest, when I look back, it was probably like the safest way to express myself. And, you know, it's like I could keep those drawings and paintings in my closet. And, and that was one of the things. It's like I, I didn't really have a plan of what else to do with my art. In fact, mm -hmm. it was lot of mixed messages in terms of could I make money from it was I getting encouragement I was getting both sides of that reception with my art so around 2016 this was a few years after I kind of started connecting with people in the local new age community and because I find my artwork is a lot of about people who are I think they're more archetypal than real they're they're mm -hmm. in the throes of you know, either experiencing kind of loneliness or having some sort of spiritual breakthrough. There's a lot of people that they look like they're sleeping, but for them, it's like they're meditating or they're deep within them, themselves. And whatever you see around them is actually what's going on inside them. I'd done all these types of artwork without really finding my market. And all of a sudden, when I clicked with like the local spiritual community, that was it. They, they were just grateful for the, the images. Like they, they got it. And they didn't have to ask me about like what it meant. Like they immediately got it. That was like really validating for me. And that when people started suggesting that, you know, you could do an Oracle deck with this, your artwork could really pair very well. So that was like one of these kind of early collaborations that after that the other person left, I kind of took that Oracle deck project to completion. And yeah, so 2016 was when I kind of launched it within uh, Singapore and kind of my, my own community 
And that's how it got started. Like, that's how I feel like I found a type of spirituality that clicked. I found a, a place that my art kind of slid into and had a purpose and found its audience as well. What is the new age community like in Singapore? Um, I feel like a lot of it are the people who have been searching for answers outside of organized religion. And the thing is like Singapore is quite a diverse little island. We are made up of mostly immigrants from around Asia, but because we were a British colony, that's why a lot of us can speak English. We're kind of cosmopolitan in that we, we've been importing media from all over the world. So um, it's, it's actually true for the modes of spirituality that are practiced here as well. So we do have kind of like major organized religious groups like Christianity is here. You can find Buddhism here, uh, Hinduism, Islam, like you name it, we probably have like a place mm -hmm. of worship. And then I don't know. I feel like if you were to go out of these groups of organized religion, you do have people who, who maybe like jump from one organized religion to the other. But then if you go into a bookstore or if you go into, and there are some new age shops here, there are not many, but there are. And I think if you have either the luck to kind of wander into them, it just seemed a bit more open. Like the, the rules were a bit more it allows you a bit more autonomy. It allows you kind of like the, the use of accessing your own intuition. It kind of, for me, it's a bit of mixing and matching as you go along that I kind of find very welcoming. It's like, if it has meaning for you, that's okay. If it helps you feel better, if you think it puts you on a path of healing, you know, there's no one kind of telling you what to believe in. It's just that, do you vibe with this? And then it's like, oh, cool. That's it. That's really all of it. So... Yeah, in, in terms of how widespread it is, I couldn't say, but I'd say that at some point, all of us had probably wandered into like a new age bookstore or just maybe, you know, found something that looked interesting and kind of jumped more into the genre. I think a lot of it is online or books from like the mind, body, spirit section of the, the bookstore. Right, yeah. I mean, that, that sounds very similar to the U.S. <laughs> <too. laughs> I think so. Maybe it's yeah. the same everywhere. Maybe. So jumping backwards, where did you start? Tell us about your, your religious or spiritual roots. I was born to parents who were kind of, they weren't drawn to any religion in particular. So I was kind of growing up and we didn't go to church, but sometimes we went to the temples Sometimes we were given rather interesting objects from relatives that kind of went, oh, if you want better luck, you know, do this. There's a lot of, in, in, in some ways, um, Chinese culture or even just the Chinese diaspora culture has a lot of like spirituality that kind of got watered down. And so there's some rituals that might have had spiritual roots. And then some people just kind of do it mindlessly without thinking about what it means anymore. So I kind of grew up around that. There wasn't a formal religion that we subscribed to, but I was surrounded by people, you know, they would call themselves Christian or they might really call themselves Buddhist or Taoist or what have you. There was really quite a, a lot of stuff to choose from. Mm -hmm. um, so within my family, my, my parents actually were pretty open-minded in that they didn't steer us any one way or the other, but because again, culture and spirituality sometimes being 
intertwined without people really explaining it. They just kind of take it for granted. You do have some of these statues in your house where after I kind of looked at it, it was like, oh, this is, this is Guan Yin, you know, this is the goddess and this, this is her story and all that kind of stuff. So people might not question it anymore. But for me, I was kind of like looking up the stories with these Chinese gods and goddesses. They have a portfolio, each of them, don't they? So (laughs) I I would look up this stuff no more than the people who were just taking the stuff for granted. So the Mm -hmm. more that I learned, it was rather amusing to me how people even chose their loyalties. So I would say for the longest time in my own life, I, I didn't really want to like subscribe to any one club and stuff like that. It was only as I think as I started looking at meditation and I want to learn meditation, then it seemed like that meant going into some sort of Buddhist temple that had Dharma classes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this was around, I think, my late, late 20s, early 30s that I, I really, that I really questioned what the meaning of life was. I was just kind of like, that, I want to learn that. And, and that was before things got a bit strange around the time I, I gave birth to, to my daughter. Like if, if people want to talk about like the awakening experience that didn't happen to my daughter arrived. <laughs> I don't know if I'm sounding too much, like I'm, I'm giving out a movie trailer, but yeah, it, it happened oh, yeah. that way. I went into meditation classes and I went to, to the temples that were offering these classes before I had the experience of we're not in Kansas anymore. That's how it happened. Yeah. To me. When you started going into meditation or when your daughter was born? the Um, the you're not in Kansas moment (laughs) I think even during meditation and it was just I got a whole feeling of calm there and there Mm -hmm. was nothing that noteworthy but when I start when when I was pregnant and after my daughter arrived I think some things became more strange as Mm -hmm. in you know it wasn't just sitting and being calm in fact it was sitting and being um, sometimes like either disturbed by something that was really strange like you you know you're alone in the room but you're getting sensations of or colors or even sounds of someone else being there so it was it was that kind of thing it was a, literally I had extra senses I didn't have to deal with before and they were almost like they peak almost like the day after giving birth to my daughter it was actually quite overwhelming wow. that's fascinating <laughs> But yeah, very, very on the woo side, very unexpected. But that was part of, I think, why I became receptive to new age after that. It seemed like there were more people within the new age community who were accepting of those kinds of experiences mm-hmm. versus when I did try to go back to kind of like the Buddhist teachers, they were going like, you shouldn't be having those experiences. You know, that's oh. for... That's for people who have been maybe spiritual in successive lifetimes. And this might be like, you know, the eighth of those lifetimes. And it's like, why are you telling me this if I've just told you I'm already experiencing it? And you, you, right. you don't know what my past lives might have been. So I, I did have that moment of let's see what the Buddhists say versus let's see what the New Agers say. And yeah, yeah that, that, that was a transition also that I wasn't expecting but it, it did happen like like how I just described. Huh. I, I've never heard of that. So it, it's, it's fascinating. <laughs> I mean, and it makes sense that giving birth is such a 
full mind body and spirit yeah. activity. I mean, to, to be very honest, I think it was quite traumatic. It, it was oh, interesting sure. as well when I was reading about pregnancy and giving birth. It's like the body really goes through so much. Yeah. That, you know, I actually met other people who were like me, like they had that same experience of mm. all of a sudden they were extra sensitive. All of a sudden they had to deal with things that would be classified on the supernatural side. Mm-hmm. And it, it takes people who are receptive to mm. metaphysics that that's outside their religious dogma to listen to you and go, well, here's a possibility instead of just kind of going like, no, what you're saying is probably like, maybe you need a <laughs> therapist or, or some medication. Yeah, it's a very select group that I feel that can, can listen to these stories and be a bit more receptive to them. For sure. And I hope that the types of people that would be listening to this podcast are the types of people that would be searching for these things too. <laughs> so I mean, I, I find that, you know, one of the things about living in this world is like, we have so many diverse experiences. So, so what if mine's a bit woo? I'm sure like everyone has cool stories. I think everyone yeah. will we'll know how strange and wonderful this world really right? is. Yeah. So on a potentially different note, how do you define the erotic or what is the erotic to you? Oh, I think of it as a sensory experience where it's pleasure that's visual, it's tactile. And in fact, it's all the five senses and it's very, very intimate and very, very personal. So mm. like in that whole definition, I didn't even say sex or sexuality. It's just something that your, your senses are so delighted that you're completely aroused Mm. so that for me is that's it like there are some pictures that I look at that don't even have to have a new body for example to be erotic to me it just Mm. as long as it arouses something and I feel it again it's like through the whole body and it's a very visceral physical but it's pleasurable that for me is erotic is some of your art erotic is all of it erotic or Hmm. I would say some of it has been, and I don't know if I class it as erotic. I feel as if I, <laughs> I had a period in my teens and my twenties that I, I definitely was exploring it. If you want to explore yourself as a sexual or sensual being, and it definitely out in my work, there are certain pieces that I had to hide even more, you know, fiercely for that reason. Uh, in the culture that I was in. And then I don't know whether it's because I aged or I experienced it in such a way that after a while, it didn't seem like I had to capture that in my work anymore. So if it comes mm-hmm. out, I'll be glad for it. Um, maybe it was unconscious, but I feel that, again, if I was aiming for full experience of life, my work, that's probably that's probably in there in some of my paintings, but maybe older ones more than the the, the newer ones. Gotcha. Or I could viewers might see something else. You've talked a little bit about it on your site. I mean, you have some pieces that I think are more sexual or sensual than others that you've you've pointed to. But I guess I was curious too if you if you define the erotic as something that appeals to all the senses and it doesn't even have to arouse a sense of sensuality or sexuality for you. Like I wondered if that did connect in some way that. But it, it doesn't have to. I, I feel like when we define terms like that, that they 
they take on different meanings in different contexts too right yeah, that's, that's a good point as well yeah maybe maybe it can be defined also by what you're gonna do with it later yeah <laughs> that's what true. you feel inspired to do right um, that's another way of looking at it so I stumbled across you and your work looking for definitions of shadow play and shadow work and one of your blog posts came up and um yeah you you talked about that and then what I loved about when I say like what you put out into the world I mean like you're I mean you're a prolific on Facebook of putting out videos related to I just lost the word um astrology Astrology. and (laughs) yeah and you um blog and you and now I think things are more tied to your um your studies into psychology and, and therapy as well. But it just, it feels like you combine a lot of elements and then you have your works of art that seem to support it or back it up or make it more personal. And I really appreciated that. So I don't know exactly where I'm going with that. Like what, what appeals to you about shadow work or shadow play? And what do you feel like you do things with it? Or is it just... interest so i i have my definition of shadow work but shadow play is not something i've heard very often and i'm wondering whether you maybe say a little bit about what you mean by shadow play yeah i'm not sure why i use that term (laughs) Um, but i I, i'm 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 intrigued by it so i want to know what your concept of that might be it very well could be because i've been editing a piece about uh kink negotiation and the word play just comes to mind a lot also i should say that i think when i the shadow work that I've done for myself often involves kink and BDSM as a way of exploring these. So, all right, I'm getting off. I just had this <laughs> interview with Theo Gaudet Arma, who is a Balinese Australian witch. And he wanted to make the distinction between like that shadows are not the dark, you know, that you actually need light in order to cast shadows. You don't need dark. I want to be cognizant of that, that when I'm talking about shadow work, I'm not talking about just exploring the dark sides of me, but the things that I think are dark that might not actually be dark. So, okay. I I was running through that in my head. So for me, the whole, when I think about shadow play, I think about exploring shame, exploring sadism, exploring things that might seem dark, but that actually lead to kindness and compassion and self-discovery and pride. I, I feel like if you've brought up a way for me to look at it that I hadn't been thinking of before, because for me, and I, I've just, I've defined it in some of my pieces about shadow work, which is that the shadow, and I'm taking Carl Jung's definition, is just something about yourself that you don't want to own for any reason, be it shame or that you don't want to look a certain way to other people. But another way of approaching it, which is something I've kind of noticed in myself as well, is that sometimes for me, the topics that I really love looking at to other people look really strange or they are like morbid or it's like, oh, that's taboo stuff. Like, why do you want to look at it? And that perhaps another definition of shadow. And the thing is, it's like they've attached or they've projected stuff onto, I feel some of these topics that might be a way and a different way of understanding shadow. But for me, it's like, why don't you want to look at it? This stuff is fascinating. You know, Mm. kink is fascinating. Why do people do what they want to do? Which is like the whole study of psychology. So when I think about shadow work, it is with that psychology basis of people are 
their light side and dark side, or people are what they want to show to other people, but they're also the parts that they don't want to show to other people, mm-hmm. or they don't want to admit they have. And that to me is a large part of, of shadow work. When you said shadow play, I started, suddenly started thinking of, well, is there a way to play with the parts that we don't want to show? Mm-hmm. And I find that one of the things I really like to do, and this is completely, <laughs> completely unrelated to where you want to take this today, was how like villains in you know popular media just have this very magnetic pull. And I feel that when we start confessing or being really open with how we admire these villains, like which parts of them are we admiring? Is it that, you know, they they are badass, they have a lot of power, they're kind of unabashed with what they want and want to go after. They've they've embraced these parts of themselves and they completely like act them out. Mm. I feel that it shows a lot of self-honesty and self-awareness if you can say I like this villain because it's almost like you're admitting to to having like the same desires Mm. but the the difference might be that we don't act on them the same way that the villain does we still own it but we're that part of ourselves even in kink we're we're kind of doing these things which other people might regard as really strange like why do you want to experience pain why do you want want to experience this but it's play for people. It can be play. It can be a way of exploring, you know, how, how do I feel about this? How far can I take it? And if I do get pleasure from it and no one's being hurt, then why not? It's really kind of venturing into your own, the parts of yourself. And a lot of this play does require, you know, scenes that you're enacting of other people. And it's really, for me at least, it's always been very, I've, I've been very interested in kind of exploring that. And I know that people do it because there is something to gain from it. To tie a bunch of things together. So as someone that's interested in astrology and tarot, like I feel like I, I couldn't have been open to any of that until I was open to the shadow side, you know, because the idea of the death card and the devil card or not being these evil things, right? Yeah. Or I like to say that the devil card is the kinkiest card. In the, yeah. In the tarot, <laughs> it's like, like, yeah, right? bring out the whip and chains. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a it's always a fascinating one when it comes up. It's like, am I not balancing enough? Am I not pursuing pleasure enough? Like it's so fascinating to me to figure out like what the universe is trying to say when it comes up. I feel like folks that are open to embracing the full spectrum of the human experience are the ones that are receptive to like what the universe is trying to tell them in terms of like in a tarot reading that might also be interested in the kinds of playful activities of like how, how you can play with it in BDSM or in these other realms. Right. It feels like there's synchronicity there, at least for me. I, I, I don't find them incompatible. Either it's us kind of exploring all these different dimensions of life there are to explore, but in the end, maybe because all of it is psychological, it's, it's for me, tarot and even astrology, it's just a language. And we can talk mm-hmm. about how maybe again, with the devil card or with Capricorns that they have a real sense of you know, having obligations and responsibilities. And sometimes if you want to play with it on a very physical level, it could be being bound, you know, by when you have obligations or being bound because you've made a promise, uh, being bound because you're into it. It's just 
kind of the same idea but on different levels so in a strange way <laughs> this started as a joke where i was just saying it was the kinkiest card in the tarot but it it really you know whether someone wants to explore it with kink and chains or you want to explore how well yeah do i really put a lot of obligation on myself or on other people do i seek out codependent relationships do i want to control people these are questions that i feel like the tools of astrology tarot kink like it actually gives you language to explore these things with it's like what are the dynamics you're seeking you know what are the dynamics and patterns that you've been playing out in your life and sometimes people when they're not conscious of it these tools can for me again as a as an artist and having that visual language like why do you like to be tied up is is it that someone else takes the power over from you and you you, you get to kind of like just submit to someone else you know th- these are questions that again they go back down into your psyche but it's just do you want to look at it on a tarot card do you want to look at it at mm. you know lady in leather <laughs> yeah um, yeah i think it's 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 kind of cool this this little channel we've gone down but for me it's like they're not incompatible no i i feel like there's a whole niche for you cuz you, you <laughs> give you give tarot readings correct like that's mm-hmm. one of your services so specific like kink tarot readings <laughs> <laughs> I've got to update my look if I want to do that, but that's that's an idea. <laughs> Wait, you said update your look? Is that what you said? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, funny. I, I feel like one of the things I appreciate about, appreciate about going to the dungeon, like whenever I bring guests or something, like they'll be like, what do I wear? It's like, you will see everything. You should be comfortable. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. what? how do you want to show up? You will find somebody yeah. else showing up that way. Yeah, uh, but I, I think people don't know how much in a strange way, like even tarot readers, even astrologers, I think people in the community, we want people to feel comfortable and safe. It doesn't look that way to some people, or it might look scary. But the whole thing is there are, we know that the best thing that you can get out of it is just you're in a safe, comfortable space, and you're actually exploring things about yourself that you might not get to do in, I don't know what what to call it, like more mundane Mm. Uh, muggle situation (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah right so when I started thinking about this podcast for me so much of my own personal journey has been learning how to embrace a sexual journey as part of my spiritual path you know Mm -hmm. and and wondering just how other people do it or what those journeys look like for for others like a the way I've been describing is an erotic spiritual identity or, or erotic spiritual practices. And so I guess I'm just curious to you, like what that calls to mind, like, is there a way that it sounds like it, but that your, your sexual path has started to merge with your spiritual path or what, what are those intersections for you? Strangely, I think they were intersecting in, in ways, even before I went into new age that, I was struggling to to kind of like integrate it all at the same time. Like, how how do you see yourself as a spiritual being, but as a sexual person at the same time? And there was actually a point in time where this job that I had um, when I was in the US was that I was working with people in 
sex trade or you know adult entertainment but I also considered fully my, myself a full Buddhist like mm. and I kept questioning like am I doing the right thing as a Buddhist like these people are working in an industry that some might consider vice that some might consider somehow you know like detrimental to their soul because they're very physical they're selling their their body like all the ways you want to use those euphemisms but they were doing that and after a while after I think talking with them and kind of realizing everyone kind of goes into this with I think awareness and having kind of like they've chosen a certain way and if they do it in a way that suits them and they're not hurting anyone I kept having all these questions about karma but I did find it hard to reconcile and then I I left that job behind I came back to Singapore I had my motherhood experiences I had my strange supernatural experiences and then I had the whole okay let's let's set Buddhism down for a short while and go into new age it was more open there as well mm. to, to sexuality like you all of a sudden you could ask tantra questions which for mm. a strange reason I couldn't find myself asking in the Buddhist temple even though you could say it was part or maybe just a branch of off that tree sure um but in I think in new age spirituality or in more kind of like open spiritual communities you don't have to deny your sexual self like mm -hmm. if I went to a Buddhist temple here for example and I would find people who are a lot more older than myself and a lot more conservative I couldn't I wouldn't find that answer of how to reconcile these two things from them but within the new age community it was a little bit it was a lot easier, let's just say, you know, people in sharing circles and, you know, just having meditation circles where people are kind of like putting their, their, their stories out there. It just seemed like there was a lot less judgment. There was less baggage that we were, we were dealing with. There wasn't as much dogma uh, we could find as that you can find in, in new age against sexuality. In fact, want to explore that part of yourself. So I guess for me, it was, it was good in a way. And yet I was just a little tangent was that I still found myself kind of thinking, it's like, yeah, I want to, I want to be more sexual. I want to be more vulnerable. I want to find a partner who's interested as well. But part of where I got a bit like waylaid was the fact that I told myself, so I have to get myself like uh, another new age guy, mm. which <laughs> not to get too far into it, but sometimes I feel that within that community, I think we might have these ideas of if we are disenlightened or if we are now new agers, we have to get partners of the same stripe, which kind of goes back to organized religion, sometimes having that, that kind of thought pattern coming up as well. So yeah. I definitely kind of fell into that trap for a while where I thought I could only have my full-bodied or full-fledged spiritual plus sexual experience if I found someone exactly like myself. Mm -hmm. And that was a bit disastrous for a few years. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's just say that I, I, I kind of, I did actually start exploring things with the kink community instead. And to my own surprise, I found more spiritual people in the, the kink community than what I would call maybe like so the hippie or the, the new age community. Like there was spirituality in the kink community mm -hmm. and that was a good revelation for me. Yeah. yeah. I feel that. I mean, and it, 
I guess what comes to mind for me is I want folks that feel like they're on a similar spiritual journey, but then they might not also be on the same sexual journey, but you find folks on the same sexual journey and they might not understand where you're going with spiritually. And it's hard to fit it all together, but what experiences are you missing out on by just seeing who you connect with too? (laughs) Yeah. Part of the 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 pitfalls that we can fall into on any spiritual path or you know whether you're following an organized religion or you're kind of following your own path is that you you feel like you're only ever going to find yourself understood by someone exactly like you Mm. and it, it was an experience for me to learn that I could find different people from myself and yet we would have things in commonality that I realized is like oh, maybe the new age beliefs were just dressing. This is actually like the real stuff, Mm. you know, whether it was Mm. like life experience or that maybe you're into something that kind of like puts you against the whole world. Like some of these things wind up somehow drawing you closer and connecting you on a more profound level than whether someone else reads tarot cards or likes crystals. Right, Um, right. There, there could be more deeper connections than there could be deeper connections than than that. And in a strange way, I think the reason why I've stuck with astrology from the beginning of, of me discovering it and through this whole journey, like I feel like sometimes I've left new age a little bit behind, but I've taken astrology with me. Mm-hmm. And part of that reason is because astrology has taught me to look at how people vibe together or how their their journeys might look. And my appreciation for astrology is basically like how how it molds someone, it has potential mold someone's psychology. Like it's surprising how much of that can show up on a chart and their sexuality as well. So you're you're studying counseling right now. Like do you feel like you're going to bring astrology into a practice or I actually don't know yet. Know what I'm fascinated by. And I do want to be able to counsel people and, and speak to people whether I I pull astrology uh, into that as well. And I feel that if I if I just operate as an astrologer anyway, but I go in with counseling qualifications, that <laughs> becomes a bonus to those people whose charts I'm reading. So yeah, I I have no idea what shape my work will take like once I can say call myself a therapist or a counselor I feel that my experience so far with people has been rather interesting those people who are very open to astrology they can be a bit surprised by what their chart reveals about themselves or even who or what kinds of relationships they're attracted to and so the astrology becomes a way to shortcut some of these conversations. Like usually people don't want to talk about things that are very personal to themselves, but if they come in for a reading and these pieces of information are coming up anyway, because I can see a way to get right to it, then it just starts that conversation for them a lot quicker. They, mm-hmm. they might open up sooner. They're quite surprised. They'll ask questions. For me, these are all, again, like I said before, it is a language. It gives them a language. It gives them a way of going like, what? You can see that? And then there's no shame anymore. There's, I think a lot of skepticism or fear around therapy is that people who are in the chair, they might not want to reveal things about themselves. But if you go to an astrologer and an astrologer is saying, it's like, I think I can see this there. Can you tell me if I'm on, on the right track? Yeah, and there's no shame about it. It's kind of like we're we're doing some, you know, fact checking here. We're doing, 
we're doing some checking here if this reflects your experience so far and because mm -hmm. it's already on the table that person's looking at you like it's not taboo I think it puts people in a space where it's like oh I didn't have to worry about talking about this it's already there mm -hmm. and then you can correct me or add on as they please it's almost like a new fusion of talk therapy it's like yeah get your chart read and then let's also talk about all the things that you you were afraid <laughs> to talk about I love it I was talking to um, a friend Bianca Alba in um, another podcast episode who got me into phone sex work and so she does a lot with um, hypnotism but it, it's really a way of for her of helping her clients explore um, a spiritual connection. And I found with my own work that, you know, a lot of times it is like, it's a place where folks feel comfortable talking about different kinks or fetishes that where they don't feel comfortable talking to a therapist about it. And I had to come to some sort of peace around that it's okay to offer some guidance or therapy in all these different ways, whether it's through astrology readings or tarot readings or on a phone sex hotline, when it's where folks can meet you, you know? Yeah, and you're meeting them where they are. I feel that's what's happening. I like that you've brought up that. Yeah, I, I find that when I was working in the US with the sex workers, you know, they were doing work that was that had a purpose of making the person they were with feel safe, feel wanted, feel better. You know, we, we all are just trying to, I think, heal ourselves in, in all these different paths and all these different ways. Again, even astrology, even tarot is just a different language. It's just a, di a different level. You know, some things are more visual, some things are more tactile. Even healing can happen sexually in true touch or true voice, sound mm. healing, <laughs> um, all these things exist. So yeah, I feel that in a way, what you've just mentioned helps me, that thing I was struggling with of reconciling my spirituality or, or even Buddhism with this kind of work with sex workers or even, you know, these metaphysical tools. If it's meant for helping someone else where they are, that's pretty noble. I think that's, mm -hmm. that's, that's you know, legitimate, <laughs> that's valid. And yeah, it's just, we, we are hoping that we ourselves and our clients like get something that helps them, something that, that elevates them to where they, they want to be. If you're interested, um, you can head to Janet's site to find out more information about um, astrology readings, tower readings, as well as the self-love oracle deck. And I wanted to, because this is now globally available and it's so new, can you just in by talking a little bit about who it's for or what you hope people get out of it okay so the self-love oracle is a box set it's a deck of cards 44 cards it's got a little guidebook on how to use the cards as well and each of these cards have different message have a different piece of artwork uh, this is artwork that i've done over decades now and all the messages are really loving messages. So you don't have to have any kind of like tarot or psychic training to use these cards. If you can shuffle a deck or you can just, you know, cut the cards and pick a random one, then each message is supposed to um, 
you know, kind of get you thinking about how to take care of yourself better. So it's called a self-love oracle because for me, when the messages, when I was writing down the messages, I, I was at a place that I didn't even fully understand the self-love concepts. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a person who, um, you know, would look for validation outside of myself or, you know, I would feel unhappy or unfulfilled. I didn't know what my next step was. Um, <clears throat> and so I'm not saying my deck is going to provide all the answers, but I, I would hope that when you get some of the messages, they give you a bit of insight of how to get past a block or mm-hmm. give you insight on how to look at a situation differently. I've had people how um, whether they're a psychic or whether the cards have some magic, I'm not going to say any of those things, but they'll, they'll say that the card that they pick usually will be relevant and usually will give them a way forward or they'll have to think about it. And then something happens later on in the day that it makes sense. Mm-hmm. So it's just fun. You don't have to think of it as a psychic tool, but the whole thing is that these messages are supportive. They are loving. They want the best for whoever is using them. Yeah. So anyone, anyone can get them. Plus, plus they're pretty. <laughs> they are. <Okay>. Yeah. <laughs> and they're just really gentle. You don't really have to have any special skills or tools to use them. No, yeah. I love it. Learn more about Janet's services, the self-love Oracle and her art at JanetChewy.com.